0: This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, August 1st of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll examine how academic pressure and high-stakes testing affects students' well-being. Extreme heat in Arizona is causing iconic saguaro cacti to lose arms, tilt to one side, or collapse entirely. That story and more on This Week in Water. Then. We'll go to our listener comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's how on Earth. This week's science show focuses on how grassroots movements to revive long-neglected spaces like city lots are bringing biodiversity, sustainable agriculture, and other healthy environmental practices to urban areas. Then at 9 a.m. comes another archival recording of the wit and wisdom of Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, James Wise will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, it's time for the headlines with KGNU's John Kellen.
1: The U.S. Space Command will remain headquartered in Colorado Springs. That decision was announced by the Biden administration yesterday, reversing a decision made in the final days of the Trump administration. Colorado leaders are hailing the announcement. Governor Jared Polis called it thoughtful and correct and said it's good for the state and its military families as well as for jobs and businesses. Former President Trump said the headquarters would be moved from Colorado Springs to Alabama just days before he left office in January 2021. The Associated Press reported that President Biden was persuaded by top military leaders to leave the Space Command in Colorado because moving it now would put the nation's military readiness at risk. Colorado Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper said the decision restores integrity to the Pentagon's basing process. Representative Joni Goose said that Colorado has the ideal ecosystem for maintaining the U.S. Space Command. An investigation is underway into the death of a 17-year-old rising star cyclist. KG News' Jackie Sedley has the story.
2: Boulder High student Magnus White was killed Saturday while cycling on southbound Diagonal Highway past North 63rd Street in Boulder. That's according to Colorado State Patrol, which is investigating the incident. CSP identified the driver of the Toyota Matrix that struck White as a 23-year-old Westminster woman. A Colorado State Patrol spokesperson says it does not appear that drugs, alcohol, or excessive speed contributed to the crash, but distracted driving has not been ruled out. No charges have been filed at this time, pending further investigation. Magnus White was scheduled to race for the United States team at the Junior World Championships in Scotland on August 10th. White was also set to begin his senior year of high school in just a few weeks. For KGNU, I'm Jackie Sedley.
1: A former Fort Lupton police officer will be sentenced next month for reckless endangerment and third-degree assault nearly a year to the day after she placed a handcuffed woman into a squad car that was parked on railroad tracks. The squad car was hit by a freight train, and the handcuffed woman suffered severe injuries, including multiple broken bones and brain trauma. In convicting former officer Jordan Steinke last week, the judge rejected the defense argument that she was too focused on the detained woman to notice the railroad tracks. Both charges Steinke was convicted of are misdemeanors. She was acquitted of criminal attempt to commit reckless manslaughter. The incident happened on September 16, 2022. The first in a series of town halls addressing the issue of homelessness in Denver is scheduled for tonight. KG News' Yvonne Olivas has details.
3: Mayor Mike Johnston and members of City Council are all expected to attend tonight's event at the Denver Dream Center at 2165 Curtis Street. It's scheduled to begin at 6 p.m. and last for about an hour. The town hall is open to the public and attendees will be able to give feedback. Mayor Johnston, who took office last month, has promised to make tackling homelessness a priority of his new administration. Johnston aims to shelter 1,000 unhoused people by the end of the year. The mayor stressed the importance of using the term decommissioning rather than sweeping Denver of homeless encampments. He said this meant giving unhoused people a housing option rather than demanding them to leave with nowhere to go. To do this, the mayor has outlined four strategies, including converting hotels into income-restricted housing, Working with landlords to provide rental apartments with leases, building micro-communities, and creating shelters from vacant buildings around the city. For KGNU, I'm Ivan Olivas.
1: The second of two closed RTD light rail lines will resume service in the Denver area today after a prolonged break. KGNU's Zach Thompson explains.
0: The R-Line is resuming full operations today. It hasn't been fully operational since April due to a major maintenance project. The R-Line serves Denver, Aurora, and further south. The four-month-long break allowed RTD to inspect and repair coping panels on the top of the north retaining walls. A similar R-Line maintenance break is expected next year on the opposite side of the tracks. The L-Line connecting downtown Denver and Five Points resumed services yesterday. It had been closed for the last three weeks. The e E&H lines, meanwhile, will still be running at 30-minute intervals instead of the usual 15 minutes. Those two lines run along I-25 to various stations downtown. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson.
1: Firefighters continue battling the low-line wildfire in Gunnison County in western Colorado. As of midday yesterday, more than 1,300 acres were burning and the fire was reported to be 15% contained. Authorities say it was started by lightning. Mandatory emergency evacuation orders are in place for Scroll Creek and Mill Creek drainages and an air quality alert remains in effect until 9 o'clock this morning. The Westwood branch of the Denver Public Library is reopening today. The branch at 1000 South Lowell Boulevard closed for remodeling in June. The updates include a new computer lab and a new lobby to the building, and increases usable space by 50%. To mark the occasion, the Westwood branch is hosting a community open house this Friday, August 4th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The weather for this first day of August, showers and thunderstorms in the forecast, mainly this afternoon. The rain could be heavy at times. The high temperatures in the metro area expected to be in the low to mid-80s. The National Weather Service says the high in Denver will be 86 degrees. In Boulder, look for a high of 81, 83 in Fort Collins, and in Nederland, the high should be 70 degrees. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen.
0: You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Earlier this summer, the College Board sent out advanced placement scores to hundreds of thousands of students across the country. These scores reflected on their academic performances back in May and determine whether or not their long hours of studying paid off. But what are the hidden costs of high achievement? Student journalist Emily Sosilo has more.
4: On Wednesday, July 5th, students huddled around their computer in anticipation, waiting for one particular email. As AP scores come out, so do feelings of pride or disappointment. In the last few weeks of school, students work hard to prepare for the oncoming advanced placement, or AP tests, which decide whether or not they receive college credit for the AP course they took. While preparing for these tests, students often experience high levels of academic stress and additional academic pressure to succeed. Naha Pesserelli, a ninth grader in Peak to Peak Charter School, just completed her first AP exam. She feels uneasy about it.
5: I think it was stressful because I just I just didn't know it was so unknown, and I've never, um, like heard about like AP testing before and like how what to expect really between. Students who took AP Human Geo and students who took regular Human Geo, like there was that stark, like, stress being seen among, like, the AP students because, like, we did have a teacher who prepared us really well, but at the same time, like, sometimes with these kinds of things, you can never feel prepared enough. And so I think overall, yeah, the grade was very, like, stressed and, like, confused.
4: Despite the stress AP and final stir up, they act as the finish line to an exhausting year. Naha says her efforts in school usually pay off, but not without putting her mental health on the line.
5: I'm striving for the best, and so that means I get the best results in, like, my schoolwork and stuff, and it's often reflected in my grades. I always do well. But then on the flip side, the stress and the lack of sleep and just, like, Perfection is never attainable for anyone, no matter, like, how hard you work. And so that, like, unattainability means that people keep working to be perfect, and it's just not possible. And so, like, it contributes to mental health issues and things like that, which I have experienced. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what are you choosing to pick? Like, being perfect and having perfect results or, like, your own mental sanity?
4: Academic pressure is proven to result in higher levels of depression and anxiety. According to a recent national survey, about 80% of students consider school as somewhat or a significant stressor, and 30% of students report extreme stress. The pressure to succeed pushes students not only give up their time, but also neglects their own well-being, leading to a higher risk of
5: burnout. I'm kind of like, oh, if I stay up one more hour tonight, then like long-term I'll be happier. Like, like It's just a sacrifice I have to make tonight. But then... After some point, like, once I start burning out, I don't even have motivation to start like things in the first place in the pursuit of getting good
4: grades, students face the invisible enemy of perfectionism. According to Anne Robinson, a
6: therapist from Two Rivers Therapy, pressure can come from a lot of different places. It can come from peers. It could come from teachers. It can come from the media that we're consuming. It can come from parents, although I think that's a smaller percentage than we than we like to think it does. Typically, folks that are feeling a lot of pressure are people that tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves in general, and right now, academic is where that's being focused.
4: Another student who experiences these academic stressors is Josue hernandez Currero. He says the pressure comes from his transition to higher education.
5: There's a lot of expectations for you, whether that be like, oh, you need to go to college, you need to be applying for programs, internships. But while you also take like, I don't know, like so many AP classes and also ACT tutoring. So those expectations start to stack up.
4: Josue Hernandez Guerrero is in the process of setting up his schedule for his freshman year in college. He graduated with the class of 2023 as a first generation student. From his perspective, the academic pressure didn't root from trying to be perfect, but rather trying to set a strong foundation going into college. Although the origin of this academic stress was different, the effect ended up being similar.
5: Just taking care of yourself and just doing self-care, going on a hike, things like that, they become less like important to you almost. So at a point, you just start to focus a lot of your time in school, and sometimes you don't even notice how much time you're putting into school just because you're so focused to get like an A or just to pass by.
4: According to a study conducted by the National Bureau of Economic Research, cortisol, the stress level hormone, increases by 15% during high-stakes testing week. And according to Wei, the stress levels just keep increasing as you grow older. In the face of academic pressure and stress, it can be very overwhelming for students to find a healthy school-life balance. Therapist Anne Robinson has found multiple steps to help overcome these challenges in the presence of academic
6: pressure. The first one is, like, getting realistic about our expectations. So what what are we actually doing? Like, what are we hoping for? What would be a successful outcome? And then how do I help you get there? The second one is in encouraging some exploration and experimentation. So we don't have to be the best at everything we try. And how do we know what we like if we haven't tried it? The third one that I like to share with folks is resourcing yourself well. And then the last two things that I generally recommend for folks is really taking a look at The balance that's happening in our life. So how much time are we spending on our academics versus how much time are we spending on some of our other basic needs? And then the last one is by building a strong support system. Mm -hmm. So for students, this could be family members, friends, teachers, uh, but also engaging with mental health providers can be really helpful. So therapists, counselors, uh, peer support specialists, like all of these folks can help mitigate some of the stressors and pressures that you're experiencing as a student.
4: While academic pressure affects students in a lot of different ways, Robinson says to never tie how successful you are as a person to one test, no matter how many times you take it. For KG New,
0: I'm Emily Cecilo. The Southern Ute Tribe recently wrapped up a Ute language summer education series that was open to the public. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has this profile of Hanley Frost, the Southern Ute elder who led the workshop.
7: I made some word lists for the kitchen and some uh, food items.
8: At the Southern Ute Museum in Ignacio, Hanley Frost stands in a classroom in front of 15 students. The class is a mixture of tribal members and interested members of the public.
7: Coffee cup. roch, arroche. a roch.
8: Hanley Frost is using phonetics to help students make some of the unfamiliar sounds in the Ute language.
7: Coffee. Gabi. Gabi. Spoon. Cheering
8: Hanley Frost is the Elder Services Manager for the Southern Ute Tribe. He's been teaching and sharing his Ute knowledge for eight years.
7: Where I learned it. It's just a horch,
8: which means cup. And he loves teaching students of any age. You can say, gee, and uh, there's two ways of saying it.
7: And sitting with individuals and saying words and sharing laughter, because sometimes they make mistakes, but that's all part of learning. It's a good feeling to do a small part of this.
5: Big butter woman.
7: <laughs> I want to save the language. I like talking with people. I'm not shy. I talk to everybody. Sharing what I learn with the membership for the ones that came, it's a gift. <laughs> Is
5: that right?
8: Uh, what's
7: your name?
5: Nuna Nia Hilda Birch, my name is Hilda Birch. Hilda Birch,
8: a Southern Ute elder, attended the class to brush up on her language skills.
5: Just to get to feel and to hear the words again, because it uh, seems like the language has kind of dissolved that the elders are gone. But now being an elder myself is trying to pick up the different dialects of the three different tribes.
8: There are fewer and fewer elders who can pass the language on to younger generations. And historically, Ute people learned the language through conversation. Now, the tribes are developing apps, publishing updated dictionaries, and emphasizing phonetics so that new speakers have plenty of nonverbal resources that will help them learn.
6: This is just kind of a cumulative effort.
8: Isabella Cloud works with the Southern Ute's Cultural Education Department. She says in addition to this summer class, the tribe has many other resources that are being developed.
3: So um, there should be about three coloring books coming out sometime soon and also a language app that will consist of some um, immersion lessons and as well as a dictionary.
8: But for this summer course, Cloud was eager to bring back one of her favorite teachers.
3: Hanley, he's a great teacher and he's always willing to work with us.
8: I was raised by my grandparents and they were fluent
7: speakers, and that's all we were allowed to talk. When my grandfather was there, we we talked because he made it very clear that that's our first language, and that's when we are going to talk.
8: In some cases, Hanley Frost is teaching people who have never heard a fluent speaker. Beyond the details of phonetics and definitions, he wants to share the magic of the language.
7: It's a gift that the Creator gave to us so we could talk among each other, and it's the gift of praying to Him in our own language, directly to Him, so that way He
8: He knows what we're talking about. Lord. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. You've, you've, you've you have
5: you. Or just you? You've, yeah.
0: Up next is this week in Water with Jamie Sudler and Franny Halperin how Project 2025 could eviscerate
9: climate action. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler.
10: I'm Franny Halperin and it's This Week in Water. There is increasing
9: concern over the collapse of an ocean current that could cause disruptions to weather across the planet.
10: The Atlantic meridional overturning circulation, including the Gulf Stream off the U.S., covers thousands of miles taking warm water from the equator to the Arctic. There it cools and sinks, eventually returning south and coming toward the surface again.
9: As a critical part of the global climate system, the circulation distributes heat around the Atlantic Ocean, regulating weather all over Earth, and also carrying nutrients that sustain marine life.
10: A new study from the University of Denmark says that, assuming greenhouse gas emissions continue on pace, it is most likely this circulation could end around 2060, or alarmingly in about two years
9: previously the u n intergovernmental panel on climate change has said that it is likely the pattern would weaken but was unlikely to collapse this new research contradicts that conclusion
10: According to NOAA, if the circulation continues to slow, rain belts in the tropics could shift, causing more drought in some places and more floods in others, and sea levels would rise along the U.S. east coast. Europe could cool by as much as 10 degrees Celsius.
9: Some of the circulation's slowing may be caused by natural variations, but human-caused climate change is also to blame, mainly because of the melting Greenland ice sheet, which releases cold fresh water and destabilizes the current.
10: It's called Project 2025, and one of its goals, starting on day one of a Republican presidency, is to completely eviscerate the policies put in place by the federal government to combat climate change.
9: Conservatives have drafted a 920-page blueprint for any Republican who becomes president that would close renewable energy offices and stop the expansion of the electrical grid for wind and solar energy.
10: The plan would give state officials more Authority over regulating polluting industries, but would prevent them from adopting stronger car pollution standards similar to California's.
9: Project 2025, which addresses all of government, would also cut funding for the EPA's Office for Environmental Justice and would turn the federal government toward fostering the fossil fuel industry instead of reining it in.
10: One critic told Politico that Project 2025 wants to shift federal agencies from protecting public health and the environment to helping the industries they've been assigned to oversee.
9: Phoenix has endured nearly a month with temperatures over 110 degrees. The streak looks to be finally coming to an end with long-awaited monsoons moving into the region.
10: The storms can't come soon enough for residents, including the state's iconic saguaro cactus. The extreme heat has caused the plants, which can grow up to 40 feet tall, to lose arms, tilt to one side, or collapse entirely.
9: It's partly to do with the lack of rain. The last measurable amount was in March, but researcher Tanya Hernandez at the Desert Botanical Garden told H2O Radio that prolonged heat can damage the saguaro's tissues and make it harder for the plant to recover once the monsoons do arrive.
10: Saguaro can live up to 200 years, but ones living in cities like Phoenix might not reach that ripe old age due to the urban heat island effect, where concrete and asphalt absorb and then emit heat leading to temperatures about 2 to 5 degrees higher than natural areas.
9: Hernandez and other scientists at the Botanical Garden are observing how saguaro in cities react to extreme heat as a predictor for how cacti in the wild will fare as the climate crisis deepens and temperatures climb.
10: The saguaro's survival goes beyond cutting a unique silhouette on the landscape. They're also a keystone species that provides food and shelter for many desert birds and animals. And finally, wind power is a crucial component of transitioning away from fossil fuels. While the amount of the renewable energy is growing rapidly, there are detractors who say turbines are dangerous for birds.
9: The Audubon Society says that in the big picture, climate change is a much larger threat to our winged friends and the organization supports wind energy provided it is done in a manner that minimizes harm to the animals
10: enter artificial nesting structures big octagonal buildings thirty-five feet wide with outside ledges where a seabird called the black-legged kittiwake can build its nest free from predators and the rotating arms of wind turbines.
9: The Danish wind developer Ersted was required to build the artificial nests to compensate for potential impacts to the vulnerable kittiwake by its Hornsea Three wind farm off the coast of England.
10: The 25-foot-tall structures have been placed about a kilometer offshore from locations where kittiwake colonies are currently thriving and were developed in collaboration with a team of architects, engineers, and ecologists to replicate the cliffs where the birds naturally nest.
9: The eight-sided layout gives Kitty Wakes options in case they find one side is too sunny or too windy. And as the birds settle in, researchers will be able to go inside the structure to observe them and count the number of occupied nests.
10: The artificial nests will be fitted with decoys to encourage skeptical kittiwakes to move in just in time for the 2024 spring breeding season.
9: That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
0: We go now to our comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners.
9: Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. I really do not like Suzy and Reach's commentary. She should be off the air.
7: And I've been listening to you guys for 30 years. I do not like how spacey she is.
0: I'm sorry, Who? We don't have a commentator by that name on KGNU, but there is someone by that name on KUVO. That's a different radio station. If you'd like to make a comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave a message on our listener comment line at 303-447-9911. Please make sure the message is intended for KGNU. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer Shannon Young. Thanks to John Kellen, Ivan Olivas, Jacob Agatston, Zach Thompson, Alexis Kenyon, Emily Sosilo, Clark Adamitis, Poor Kit, Franny Halperin, and Jamie Sudler for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for How on Earth? The KGNU Science Show. That's coming up after the
10: BBC News headlines.